In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your graces, chaplain to the Archbishop of Jerusalem and the Middle East, my lords, former Dean President, seminary faculty, ordinands, spouses, guests, parents, fellow clergy, family and friends. Welcome to Church of the Ascension. What an august gathering this is. What a joy it is that though we have gathered here with many and varied titles and roles from many places and many nations, we are one in Christ Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Twenty years ago this month, I sat, a little nervous, in Christchurch Cathedral, Oxford, on the day of my ordination. Tired after final exams, my heart and mind filled with so many thoughts and emotions, eager to see my wife having been cloistered away on silent retreat for three days, I well remember the relief to have finally reached this day. I saw my grandmother, who prayed for me every day of my life, seated near the front of the cathedral. Next to her were my parents and my wife and members of my wider family, so many of whom had supported and prayed and helped me to arrive at that day. And here this morning, I survey a similar scene. And if I may presume to speak on behalf of the ordinands just for a moment, thank you to all of you here who have encouraged, prayed for, taught, extended grace to, um, and simply been there for those here today who are about to be ordained. This is a day filled with hope and excitement and great promise. Len, Brian, Sean, yes, make sure, I want to make sure I can find you all. Sean, Rob, and David. I suspect that each of you probably have some mixed emotions today. I hope you feel a measure of readiness and anticipation at being ordained a minister of the gospel. But with that, perhaps you also feel a sense of trepidation as you prepare to embark on this next leg of the journey that God has called you to. You know, the other side of the coin of excitement and anticipation is, of course, fear and dread. Um, If any of you are skiers, you will know that the thrill and the rush of launching down a steep mountainside is both exhilarating and terrifying, all at the same time. Now, if you don't ski, don't worry, you will soon experience that rush of excitement and sheer terror not too long after the Archbishop lays his hands on you today. You know, I sometimes wonder if I knew 20 years ago what I know now, would I have gone through with it? (laughs) Actually, I'm certain that I would, but I'm deeply grateful 
that God does not typically show us what is to come. You know, speeches at commencements or sermons at ordinations, I suspect, run the risk of being misty-eyed, unrealistic, triumphalist, lofty exaltations to go into the church or the world and make your mark and do great things. There is a place for that. And you all do have much to look forward to and much to be eager about and much to give. Indeed, as I look back over my own ministry, I do so in the knowledge that there has been immeasurable encouragement, joy, and fulfillment. This is the best job in the world. And yet, it is also true that I have known darkness, loneliness, and despair. This can feel like the very worst job in the world. You, like me, may enjoy a measure of success and humiliating failure. You may see lives transformed by the power and grace of the gospel of Christ. And you may see folks who reject God with hearts that are cold and hard. The life you are about to begin as deacons and in the little time, God willing, priests in the church of God is not for the faint-hearted. I don't know what your greatest hopes and fears are today, but I'll tell you one of the biggest fears that I had and which continues to crouch at my door. It's this. The fear that I will have Nothing to say. Now, I can see some people smiling. Those of you who know me might think that's a bit odd. Indeed, one of the very few things that I've never been accused of is of being shy and retiring or short of something to say. But I'm not talking about the ability to speak. I'm talking about whether I will have anything to say from God. And it seems that Jeremiah shared this fear. But before we look at that in our reading from our Old Testament lesson, I want to take a closer look at Jeremiah's call. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Immediately, we see that Jeremiah's calling was not just something in the moment. Rather, it was a calling that had significance in the eternal purposes of God the Creator. God had formed Jeremiah just as he has formed each one of us. But even before the master potter formed Jeremiah, before he formed each of you about to be ordained this morning, God had a plan in mind, and each of you has been handmade for God's purposes. Let's read on. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. In a sense, we're just playing catch-up today, recognizing God's calling and appointment on your lives. This is encouraging, yes, also rather sobering, and awe-inspiring. 
Certainly it was rather unsettling for Jeremiah. He is dismayed by his call and somewhat reluctant. If being known and called since before his birth brought a measure of comfort, the appointment he's given seems to have brought a sense of alarm to Jeremiah. I appointed you, says the Lord, a prophet to the nations, which on any view is a bit scary. And Jeremiah responds, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. God says, oh, that's okay, you'll be just fine, I understand, don't worry about a thing. Uh, Actually, no. God says, cut it out, stop your whining, and do as you're told. Or to quote the text a little more precisely, do not say, I'm only a boy, for you shall go to whom I send you. And you shall speak whatever I command you. Jeremiah's concerns about himself may have been perfectly valid. God didn't contradict them, but they were not the point. The proper response when God calls you is not, Oh, I'm not up to it, I couldn't possibly. But, where am I posted? What would you have me do? But God, knowing Jeremiah's anxieties and inexperience, first speaks words of comfort. Do not be afraid. Likewise, God would have us hear those words afresh today. God has called you. God has called you then as he sends you to Toronto to study for that PhD. And in all that lies ahead, do not be afraid. Brian, God has called you to plant a church, we think, in Morgantown, West Virginia. Don't be afraid. Sean and Kate, God has called you to plant a church on the south side, here in Pittsburgh. Don't be afraid. Rob, God has called you to plant a church in Santa Cruz, California. Don't be scared. David, God has called you for the time being to continue to serve the Archbishop and our diocese as communications officer and here at Ascension. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Well, after the reminder of the call, the injunction not to make excuses, and the command not to be afraid, Jeremiah experienced an extraordinary thing. For then, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. It is God himself who equips us for the work of ministry. It is his spirit who empowers us for that which he calls us to. So, when you are afraid of those to whom you are sent, when you are afraid that you will have nothing to say or that you are just a boy, remember those words. And ask God to touch you afresh by his Spirit, that he may put his words into your mouths. When you are tempted to give up, when you feel disheartened or downcast, May you also know the mercy of God 
that St. Paul spoke of in our passage from 2 Corinthians. Listen again. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, given Paul's past as a persecutor of Christians, he was especially conscious that his ministry was only by the mercy and grace of God. Now, I don't know a lot about your past. I know a little. I interviewed some of you in the Commission on Ministry. But when our enemy, the devil, whispers in your ears that you are not worthy, not good enough, old enough, wise enough, or whatever half-truths he will say to you, remember God's mercy. Sure, you're not good enough, old enough, wise enough, but that's not the point. God has called you by his mercy. Do not be afraid. And remember, remember the nature of this ministry to which you have been called. It is a ministry of righteousness and reconciliation. Righteousness and reconciliation that comes not for one moment from your own merit or ability or hard work, but a righteousness and reconciliation that comes from God through the cross. So Paul was able to persevere and not lose heart, not because he'd adopted the motto, keep calm and carry on, <laughs> although it sometimes is a helpful one to have tucked away, but because this ministry imparts forgiveness and brings life. What a blessing. What an encouragement. What a mercy and a precious gift this ministry is to which you are being called. So Paul continues, we have renounced the shameful things that one hides. Let me just pause. I wonder, what are the things in your life that you would sooner hide? Past sins or failings, present temptations or desires, these we renounce for the sake of the gospel. Paul goes on, we refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. Your task and mine is to preach the word in season and out of season, whether people want to hear it and obey it or not. And then Paul says, But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. Now, if you weren't scared before, contemplate that last phrase in this verse, and you might feel the hairs begin to stand up on the back of your necks. By the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. If you are going to be faithful to the vows you are about to make this day, you have to commend yourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And that means no hiding behind your fine degrees from Trinity School for Ministry or Nashoda House or wherever else. No hiding behind your wit or wisdom or your colour or your title. No being economical with the truth to make God's word more palatable. No yielding to the temptation to preach what people want to hear rather than what the gospel says. 
No. Your calling, your ordination, and your commissioning are not to be about any of these things, as St. Paul declares. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. God has shone his light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Just before this, Paul reminded us, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But thank God that whereas Satan is capable only of blinding folks, our God is the God who restores sight to the blind. There is all around us so much spiritual blindness. But we are those who are sent to restore sight. Now, of course, the charge to shine the light of the gospel is not a charge just to those five at the front who are about to be ordained. It is the charge to everyone here who follows Jesus as Lord. Our missionary task is to shine the light of God's love and mercy and righteousness into every human heart so that the Holy Spirit may bring about transformation, healing and forgiveness. You and I, all of us, are to shine as the light of Christ in the places of darkness where we are and where we are called to serve God. At work, at home, in the marketplace, wherever you are. And finally, Len, Brian, Sean, Rob, David. You are called to shine as a light in the darkness. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. And before you were born, he consecrated you to serve him. So then, go to all to whom he sends you. Speak whatever he commands you. And do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Amen. Amen.